We had a silent bumper this morning. I feel like you guys got robbed. You didn't get the full bumper experience. Good morning. How are we doing? Good. I, as Jenny said, I had a blast yesterday. Uh, I got to, Don took me in the dump truck, and I got to ride in a dump truck yesterday. It was like, it was like being a kid, right, Paul? Like, we had a great time yesterday. You know, it was awesome. Uh, all getting to work together, out on the cold. I even wore shorts because it was amazing. Uh, but uh, anyway, happy Thanksgiving. Anyone excited for a food coma later this week? You know, you, you do understand that the first Thanksgiving... Uh, you know, the people that experienced the first Thanksgiving, you know, they experienced disease, bodily harm, even death. And uh, honestly, if you go try grocery shopping this week, you might face the same. <laughs> it, it, have you been out there? It's crazy, right? But uh, speaking of Thanksgiving and, uh, and just how grateful and thankful uh, we are, you probably got uh, a little book this week in the mail or you got an email. Um, and this little book was just to rehearse the generosity, the goodness of God to our church this year. And uh, if, you had, if, if you didn't get it, you can pick one up at the starting point after service today. But it's filled with just some of the stories uh, of what God has done this year. And how many of you, if you were to look back, sometimes we forget, don't we? We forget to look back and just recognize how good God has been, the opportunity that he gave us to be involved in his story, his plan. How many of you would say, as you look back on the year, man, God has been really good to us as a church family, and we've had the opportunity to participate with him in his story this year. There's been some really amazing things. Isn't that right? And uh, I'm so grateful for that. So if you didn't get a copy of that, uh, the purpose of this was just to say thank you, just glorify God, talk about his faithfulness, and just look back. So that was really kind of a, a fun project to kind of work on uh, with the team. But uh, we are in uh, the second part of uh, a two-part series where we, uh, we're talking about money. Actually, we're really talking about generosity and stewardship, to be honest with you. And, uh, and if you remember, last week we started uh, the purpose of this series, when you look at this, uh, the, the, uh, the, the backdrop of the world in which we live, there's kind of a backdrop of a little bit of stress and anxiety over money right now. You know, we have uh, an inflation rate that's, you know, on a 40-year high. Uh, we have the right, you know, kind of uh, economy that's sagging. We've got kind of the rising cost of everything. Anybody gone grocery shopping recently? My goodness, it's crazy. And then my wife tried to help me feel better because um, uh, the, my assistant, her uh, daughter's in Hawaii, and they're paying $12 for a loaf of bread in Hawaii. Don't you feel better about where you live now? But against that backdrop of, of, man, stress and anxiety and pressure, you know, we, we've talked over the last 18 months about this idea that, man, we live out of God's story, not the story of this world. And so we wanted to take a look in the midst of all of this going on, how could you and I, as followers of Jesus, live with less stress, more peace, less anxiety, just more freedom when it comes to the arena of our finances? Because God has a plan. God has a way that he wants to do things, and God wants you and I to participate with him in that because the result of that, and you know this, right? Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to rob your peace, but God comes that you might have life and life more abundantly, and we want to live from that place. We want to live from a place of peace, less stress, less anxiety, and it's entirely possible because God's word gives us a game plan for how we, you and I, can live that way, and so last week... We started with a couple of things uh, that we wanted to understand from the Bible when it comes to the arena of finances. And the first thing that we learned last week is that money is a tool. 
When you look at the Bible, the Bible teaches us that money is just a tool. And just like any tool, uh, and I'm not, in fact, somebody saw me with a hammer yesterday and they ran up and grabbed the hammer off of me. (laughs) They said, you don't know how to use that tool. And so just like any tool, we've got to learn how to use the tool rightly. In fact, the word that the Lord uses, or the Bible seems to use, to help us understand how we're supposed to manage money and use money is this little word, steward. And steward just means it's someone that's been entrusted with somebody else's resource or possessions, and they're to enjoy it, they're to invest it, they're to use it wisely, they're to care for it, not as their own, but as being entrusted with somebody else. And I, in second service last week, I used the analogy, uh, a good friend of mine, he moved to Florida, and he said, hey, uh, I want you to look after my mountain bike. You've maybe heard me tell, share this story before, but what he was doing was, he wasn't giving me the mountain bike. He says, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to use it. I want you to go down Mount Hood and fall off of it, but I also want you to clean it. I also want you to make sure the chain's oiled. I also want you to make sure that you take care of it. Because at any point, he could come back and use it. Why? Because it's his, and he's entrusted it to me to enjoy it, to use it, but to also care for it. Well, God wants us to do the same thing when it comes to our finances. And so we asked three questions last week. One was, well, what role do we want God to play in our finances? Is God just kind of an idea guy? He has a few suggestions. Are being fully devoted followers of Jesus, do we want his lordship? Do we want him, us recognizing, God, this is yours in the first place. We want your input. We want your suggestions. But Lord, we want your lordship. We want you to be first in that. The second question that we asked last week was, do you have a plan? And and it's important. In fact, 78% of Americans don't have a budget. Isn't that surprising? Some of you are going, no, <laughs> right? And, and some who have lots of, lots of resource, right? They just don't have a budget, right? But how effective might they be if they had a budget, right? Some of us who maybe don't have as much, right? Maybe we don't have a budget. But the whole point was the Bible teaches us that we're to be intentional with our money, that we should have a plan. We should put in place a budget. And I know that there were many that went, made it out to uh, the budget workshop that we've put on the last two weeks, And then the last thing was this. We asked ourselves the question, are we exercising the generosity muscle? And can I look you in the eye as a church family and answer that question? Yes, you are. We we have an incredibly generous community of people here. And whether it's adopt a family, whether it was 27 people at the North House yesterday in freezing cold weather. By the way, I wore shorts because I'm tough, right? (laughs) But, but regardless, whether it's serving, whether it's giving, whether it's uh, locally, whether it's around the world, we sent out three or four missions teams this last year. Like, we are a generous church family. And so all that I'm really trying to do is just fan the flame of that and say, man, keep doing what you're doing. Keep being generous, right? Why? Because our God, we're going to discover today, is generous. And when we're generous, we're reflecting the nature and the character of God to the world around us. And so that's really where I want to pick up today. I want to just kind of pick up on this idea of generosity. What does it look like for you and I to reflect God's generosity to us toward other people? So I have an exercise for us. In fact, you've already been doing this, but you haven't been thinking about it. So I'm going to cause you to think about it. Here's what I want us to do. Are you ready? Hold on to your seats. Here's what I want you to do. We're all going to do it together, okay? We're going to breathe in, breathe out. 
Go ahead, keep going. Oh, it feels good in here. Now, most, you just do that, don't you? You don't even stop to think about it, but I want you for a moment just to stop and think. Breathe in, breathe out. Inhale, exhale. All right, now, second part of the exercise. I want you to take a big, deep breath, and I want you to hold it for as long as you can hold it. Are you ready? Here we go. One, two, three. That's it. Can't do it. Some of you are better than me. But isn't it true that, you know, here we are. We inhale, we exhale, we breathe in, we breathe out. It's just natural to who we are. In fact, when you try to do it differently, you're kind of forced back into, nope, I got to do it. I got to take a breath in. Because God wired us that way. God wired us to breathe in and breathe out. God didn't design us to breathe in and just hold it. We have to exhale. We have to breathe out. Well, the same is true when it comes to generosity, that God has actually wired us, designed us to receive and to give, to breathe in, breathe out, to receive, to give, to inhale, to exhale. And the reality is, and we're going to discover, even science Some studies from the University of Oregon, University of Minnesota, the Wall Street Journal, articles in there. We are hardwired to live this way. But we live in a culture that's kind of like survival of the fittest, and I just got to get what I can get, take care of me. But that's not how God actually designed us to live. He designed us to breathe in, to breathe out, to receive, and to give. And so today, I want to take a look at this. In fact, there's a couple of verses that I think are just amazing. And the first verse is found here. It's found in Proverbs 11:25. It says this, that a generous person will prosper. Now, you know, some people don't like the word prosper being used in church. And by the way, I'm with you on that because I think there's some bad things that have kind of come out of that because of greed and all the rest of it. But when you actually understand the Hebrew word that's used here, it's a little Hebrew word called selah, which carries with it this idea that God pushes you forward. And the point is that when we get involved with the things that God gets in, uh, God's interested in, when we do the things that God designed us for, God pushes us forward. And so look at this. He says this. He says, a generous person, in other words, a person who's operating the way God really designed them, is going to get pushed forward. I believe in all areas of life, God's going to get behind and push forward. And then it says, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Do you see the rhythm? Breathing in, breathing out. Those who refresh others will be refreshed. Those who are generous are going to be refreshed. God's going to get behind and push forward. And so we're designed to actually live this way. In fact, the verse right before that, in verse 24, says this. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets weir and weir. At least that's how we say it in Ireland. It gets smaller and smaller. Why? Because something happens in your heart, your life, your world, when you begin to breathe in, breathe out in this area of generosity. Because God actually wired us to be generous. 
In fact, I mentioned earlier that there's scientific studies and at the University of Oregon, University of Minnesota, there's these articles in the Wall Street Journal that report that there's those who are generous have better health, better physical health, longer life expectancy, lower rates of depression, greater levels of empathy, higher levels of happiness uh, um, among those. In fact, the Wall Street Journal actually claims that we're hardwired for generosity. How many of you want to have better physical health? How many of you want to have a longer life expectancy? How many of you want to have a lower rate of depression when I look at the world around me, right? Like, we, we are designed to live this way. In fact, I believe that the Bible teaches us that the value of life isn't determined by how much you achieve or accumulate, but by how much of your life you give away. That's the story that you and I are a part of. Why is that? Why is it that the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller? Why is it that those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed? Why is it that God seems to say in his word that, man, if you're generous and you're living that way, I'm gonna get behind and push forward with whatever area of life that is. Why is that? I think the reason why is because when we're generous, we're reflecting who God is. Has God not been generous to us? Has God not given us his own son so that we could be rescued and freed from sin ourselves? And, and maybe you're sitting in this room, man, going, ah, I don't know, man, I feel pretty poor right now, right? Maybe I've, you've got some struggles. Yet we live in a nation where we are in the top 1% of the richest people in the world. And not that I want to make it about resource, but I'm, I'm just saying that when we're generous, we're reflecting the nature and character of God. I want to do something, um, I don't do it this often, but I, I want to show you a little video uh, from the Bible Project that I think does such an awesome job helping us understand who God is and maybe looking at God through a different lens. Let's watch this video together. Imagine your friend invites you to a party. You arrive and there's lots of people, decorations, food and drink. There's enough for everyone. When you're hosted by someone that generous, you don't have to worry about your needs. You can just enjoy yourself and focus on the people around you. Yeah, that's what a good host wants for her guests. And this is the picture of the world that we find in the Bible. Creation is an expression of God's generous love. He's the host and humans are his guests in a world of opportunity and abundance. And we're called to keep the party going, to spread his goodness. This is a beautiful picture, but it's not the way people experience the world. Rather, we find a world of scarcity and struggle, not abundance. And Jesus grew up in that kind of world. Under military occupation, people losing their land or families to debt and poverty. And yet, he would say things like this. Look at the birds. They don't store up food for themselves, yet they have enough. Or consider the wildflowers. They're beautiful and abundant, and they don't stress about their existence. And you all should live that way, too. But surely Jesus knew that things don't always work out. I mean, sometimes there really isn't enough. And Jesus did experience poverty firsthand, but he viewed the world through the story of the Hebrew scriptures, which claimed that our scarcity problem isn't caused by a lack of resources. Rather, the problem is our mindset that God can't be trusted. Maybe God's holding out on me. Maybe there isn't enough, and maybe I need to take matters into my own hands. And once we're deceived into that mindset of scarcity, we can justify the impulse to take care of me and mine before anyone else. 
And that leads to envy and anger, violence, and a world where it seems like there's not enough. The party's over, it's turned into a battleground. But God wants humans to experience his generosity. And so he chooses one people, the family of Abraham. And he promises to give them the abundance that he wants for everybody else. God will provide what they need. All they have to do is trust his generosity. And through them, the whole world will see how generous the host really is. But that's not what happens. Abraham's descendants, the Israelites, enter a land of abundance, and they promptly forget the host who gave it to them. They act like it's all theirs, and like there's not enough. And it leads to war and Israel's self-destruction. If I were the host of this party, I think I'd just give up. But God doesn't give up. What he does is surprising. He gives another gift. Another gift? Yeah, but this gift is different. What God gives is himself. All right, and Jesus, the host himself, comes to join in on the spoiled party. And notice, Jesus lives with the conviction that there is enough and that our generous host can be trusted. His mindset of abundance allowed him to live sacrificially and generously even towards his enemies. And Jesus called his followers to trust in God's abundance like him. And that's why he said things like, sell your possessions and give to the poor, or don't worry about your life. He's inviting us to live by a different story, one that is built on trust in God's goodness and love. But living generously doesn't mean life is gonna go well. I mean, look at Jesus. He was betrayed by his friends and he suffered. And this was no surprise to Jesus. He knew that people would take advantage of his generosity. In fact, that was his plan. Really? Yeah, think about it. Jesus knows that we're all hopelessly deceived by this lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life. And scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. And when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Man, isn't that a great video? And doesn't it change your perspective a little bit on God? Because sometimes we can look at the here and now and go, man, I'm not sure there's enough, I, I, you know? And yet we recognize, man, God's been so generous toward us. He just wants us to reflect his generosity towards others. And, and it's why we named this little series In God We Trust, not in self and not in our own ability. No, we're, we're going to trust in God, and we're going to try to manage well that which he gives us. You know, Paul actually picked up on this in uh, the, a little letter that he wrote uh, in 2 Corinthians. So it's the second letter 
that he wrote to this church in Corinth. And, and there's this passage of scripture that I'm going to just walk us through really quickly, but it's found in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can turn over there. We're actually going to read about 12 verses and just unpack a few th- observations from Paul's writing on this very subject. And, and what was happening was that there was a church in Jerusalem, a church in Macedonia, and a church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth was like this amazing church, right? It excelled at everything. And the church in Macedonia was probably a church that had a little less resource. Uh, And he had gone to the church in Corinth and the church in Macedonia and said, hey, we want to receive an offering. We want to bless and take care of some needs that are going on in this church in Jerusalem. And it was about a year before he actually wrote the letter that he had talked to these churches about this. And he writes this letter to encourage them with this thought that God has been generous and we want to live that way towards other people. And so I want to just read a few verses. And this is what it says, picking up right in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, we want you to know about the grace of God that's been given among the churches in Macedonia. So he's writing to this church in Corinth who's, man, it's an amazing church, man. They excel in everything and love and and, and faithfulness and they excel in the spiritual gifts and like, it's like the kind of church you want to go to, right? And he's writing to this kind of seemingly successful church and telling them the story about this other church that has maybe less resource. But he says, I want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Do you notice the use of the phrase there? He says, I don't, he's not writing and saying, hey, I want you to know about the giving. I want you to know about how much they gave. I want you to know about how much generosity they had. No, no, no. He says, I want you to know about the grace of God. The grace, something that we receive from God. It's undeserved, but it produces something in us. And so he's tying generosity back to a grace of God that they had received. And he goes on in verse two and he says, for in a severe test of affliction, right, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And Paul's saying here, look, it cost them something. There was some sacrifice. They had to reprioritize what some of their priorities were in their world and life. But notice how Paul points to their motivation. He said it was out of an abundance of joy. He said they recognized their extreme poverty. And some of that actually had to do with just kind of their stage and place in life. But if you remember during a series we did over the summer on the Beatitudes, we talked about spiritual poverty, spiritual, like I've got nothing that I bring to the table. Everything I have has been because of the mercy of Jesus Christ that I've received. And he's saying the same thing here. These guys recognize the great joy that they have because even though they were spiritually poor and they may have even been naturally poor, they recognized what God had poured into them. God had been generous towards them. And so it produced something in them. In fact, what he says it is, is an overflow of generosity. And he goes on in verse three, and he says this, for they have given, or they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means, right? So he recognized, man, there was some that had a lot. There was some that had a little, but they gave based on what they, what they had. And he said, they gave of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. And they exceeded our expectations. And look at this. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. In other words, these guys had answered the question, what role do we want God to play? First place. 
God's the Lord. He's not just my savior. He's not just somebody that I casually follow. No, I want every area of my life ordered and under his authority, under his lordship. They'd answered the question. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then whatever he was asking of them to do. It goes on in verse seven and it says, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in our our love for you, see that you excel also in this act of grace. Are you noticing that Paul is tying generosity back to an act of grace. It's something that is motivated from within because of what Jesus has done for us. And he goes on and he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by... uh, so that." you by his poverty might be made rich. And once again, he's just saying, you've received so much in Jesus Christ that ought to produce something in us. And by this, and in this matter, I give my judgment, this benefits you. What is it that benefits them? Well, the work of Christ towards them. But as they engage and respond in this act of grace, act of generosity, it actually benefits them. And he goes on, he says, a year ago, you started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. For if the readiness or the willingness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now, one of the things I just want us to see in this entire passage is that Paul is constantly dealing with our motivations, right? The abundant joy, the recognizing who they were and where they were in Christ, the desire, the motivation, right? I'm not commanding you. I'm not compelling you. I'm just laying it out. Paul's constantly dealing with the motivation to be generous, and I, I grew up in most, you, you know, most of you in the room know I grew up in Northern Ireland, and Northern Ireland's a very religious country. And so I grew up with kind of a heavy dose of religion. Some of you may have grown up with a heavy dose of religion. And religion sells us this idea that if I obey some outward rules, then maybe God will like me just enough and I'll be able to make it into heaven. Anybody? Right? But you know that's not what Christianity is. And as I began to grow and mature and understand and God began to reveal more and more of who he was, I began to realize that what God's inviting me into is a relationship, a relationship that I can delight in him. I can enjoy that relationship with him. It's a relationship that brings me life, right? There's a, there's a shift in my motivation, And if you grew up in religious circles, if you grew up with kind of maybe, you know, in a particular stream of Christianity or religion, it's all kind of external motivations that if I do the right thing, then maybe God will like me just enough to let me into heaven. And yet what the New Testament teaches us, what the Bible teaches us, is that God is wanting you and I to live from this place, this life-giving place, all that we've received in Jesus Christ, that it fundamentally changes, shifts our motivation for why we live the way we live. In fact, the Old Testament laws were written on stone tablets, right? They were external. They were rules, so to speak, to be obeyed. But the New Testament, Jesus actually doesn't come along and just, you know, abolish the law. He actually says, yeah, good set of values, good set of principles. Those were given so that you might have some sort of relationship with Jesus, so that there might be a life-giving community that the rest of the world could kind of look to and see. And Jesus doesn't come along and abolish the law. The Bible teaches us that Jesus comes along and fulfills the law. And then he does this. He writes it on our heart. 
In other words, the motivation goes from the external, I have to do this, to the internal, I get to do this. Because of my relationship with Jesus, because of what I've received from him, I get to participate with him. I get to reflect his generosity towards other people. And this is exactly what Paul is trying to help us understand. And I hope that you understand that this is the kind of church that we are. We want to be about life-giving relationships. It's not about, hey, did you read your Bible today, you know, and, and check kind of the mark. No, 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 we want to help you read your Bible because we want you to experience who Jesus is, understand who God is. So that you might have that life-giving relationship. It's not, hey, did you pray seven days this week for how long? Right? We're not obeying a set of rules. No, no, no. We want you in a life-giving relationship with Jesus because we recognize that's how Christianity is supposed to be. It's our life-giving relationship that produces something in us that we then get to reflect and live out. And this is what Jesus is inviting us into. And so really quickly, because of time, I want to rattle through just five observations. I promise I'll do this quickly. Five observations. You guys are all like, yeah, right, whatever. <clears throat> Gareth, we know you're a pastor, but you lie all the time. <laughs> Let me tell you about the grace of God. <laughs> five observations I want to pull out of this passage of Scripture. Here's the first one. Number one, how do we engage in this generous kind of life? The first thing is this, we've got to choose to give joyfully. In fact, look what it says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. And the little portion is chapter 8, chapter 9. But he says this, for God loves a grumpy giver. No. God doesn't love a grumpy giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Giver. Can I tell you, when I'm working yesterday with 27 people, in fact, um, N8X of Askin actually came out, and they just said, man, God has blessed us, and we just want to be a blessing back. God has given us so much. Like, they don't go to our church. They just love Jesus. They recognize, man, Jesus has given us so much. We want to bless you guys. We want to be involved, right? And I love the joy. They weren't there kind of grumpy. Man, I got to give up a Saturday to come do this, right? No, they loved giving their time. And honestly, the 27 folks that were there, guys and girls, I mean, some of it was pretty nasty. Inside the house is pretty nasty, Dave, isn't it? But man, there was just such joy. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. And we want to be that kind of a church. Can I, listen, it's joyful. When you look at the little book we sent out this week, it's pretty amazing to recognize that we as a church family got to send medical supplies to the Middle East, got to invest in churches in the States and around the world. Like we got to send out missions trips. We got to do all kinds of stuff this year. How many of you know that's not a sad thing? That's a joyful thing. And what a joy to be a part of that. And I just love, you know this, you get around people that just love to give and there's just delight that takes place. I think about Adopt a Family this week. I've had a number of stories where it's just like people like, you guys are crazy. You're actually like giddy just to give. I can't wait to do this. And I just love the fact that we have that kind of a church. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, Jesus himself said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And that's because we live out of God's story. We reflect God's generosity. Now, I told you at the start of this series, I wanted to give you an opportunity to live with more peace, less stress, less anxiety, and live in a more generous way. And so what we've done is we, I'm so excited about this, we have printed thousands of these little cards, and they simply say something extra to let you know that Jesus loves you. And I want to challenge you to take some of these cards this week, and maybe you're going to be in line at Starbucks 
And you're just going to pay for the person behind you. You're going to pay for their coffee, right? Remember, Laura had that story, so be warned. She had a whole car full of people, so, you know, she had to take out a second mortgage on that one. But that's okay. God's going to provide. My point is simply this. Maybe it's a, some groceries at a grocery store. Maybe you're going to rake a neighbor, uh, the leaves of, in the neighbor's yard. Why not just leave them a little card, and on the back of the card, there's a little QR code that tells them a little bit more about Jesus, because that's the reason we want to be living generously. Because Jesus has been so generous to us. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up some of these cards afterwards, and I want to challenge you. I want to hear stories of little ways that you and I get to live generously, because this is who God has called us to be. Isn't that right? So we want to live that way. So the second thing we see in this passage of Scripture is this. They chose to give joyfully. Number two, they chose to give selflessly. Look at this in verse 5 of chapter 8. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. Do you notice they gave themselves, fully devoted followers of Jesus, gave themselves to the Lord first, which made them fully devoted stewards of that which he gave them. And so they were then able to be used by the Lord to do the things that the Lord would have them do. And I love, Dwayne Finsauce came up to me last week. He says, you know, you can never outgive God. And it's the absolute truth that when we choose to live our life, whether it's time, talent, resource, whatever it is, when we choose to live generously towards other people, I'm telling you, the Lord seems to pour back in. He seems to bless. I love this quote from John Sutherland Bonnell. He says this, if one first gives himself to the Lord, all other giving is easy. Isn't that so true? Why? It's because of that video that we just watched. We start to realize that a generous host named God, he gives us all things. What we need is there. And God knows best what's needed. But if we order our lives that way, we'll discover that God has good things in store. The third thing we see in this chapter is this, that they chose to give willingly. Now, if you have kids or grandkids, you know how to help your kids or grandkids give, but oftentimes it's unwillingly. I'm sure some of you have got some great stories, you know, like you're trying to help your kids live generously towards their siblings or some friends, you know, and it's like they've got a handful of something and they just kind of throw it at the other person, you know. How many of you know that's not willingly? You know, it's like I might be standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down inside. You're not going to get me to move, right? But, but God wants us to be willing givers, right? And we don't do it because we have to. Remember, Paul went through that passage, had all these motivations for why we were doing these internal motivations. Look at uh, chapter 8, verse 12. It says this, for if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. And the Lord is actually trying to teach us something, that I'm not stingy. I'm not the Scrooge, right? Like it's, no, I'm willingly going to give away. Why? Because I'm a steward. I'm just taking care of something that he's entrusted to me, and I'm going to pass it along to something, somebody else. I have a really funny story. I was in Ireland, and I felt like the Lord was saying, hey, I want you to bless this church. I want you to take care. And they didn't have a lot of resource. And I felt like the Lord said, hey, I want Abundant Life to just take care of something for this church. And so I had made a decision in my heart that, man, okay, we're going to give a certain amount of money just to give it to this church and invest into what they're doing and believe God to use it. I'm just going to try and obey the Lord. Be generous, right? Well, no sooner had I kind of been thinking about that and trying to respond to the Lord, my wife texts me, and she had happened to be at another little conference locally uh, that I was, I was supposed to speak at, and I couldn't speak at because I was in Ireland, blah, blah, blah. And she says, hey, the church that's hosting this just gave us a check. And 
I'm like sitting thinking to myself, how good is God? He supplies seed to the sower. I made a decision that we're going to sow as a church into this church, and another church decided at the same time they were going to sow into us. That's the kingdom of God. That God wants us to live that kind of way, that I'm willing to live uh, in this way, that I'm willing to give. And, and Paul made it really clear. Some have a lot, some have a little. Give as you have, right? But make this choice to give willingly. The, third, the fourth thing that we see in this, book, in this chapter is this. Choose to give intentionally. Now sometimes, and Paul actually addresses this in this passage, if you didn't have time to look at it, but Paul says, look, you shouldn't be compelled or you shouldn't feel manipulated. That's absolutely true. You shouldn't at all. But you also shouldn't be moved just, just emotionally, right? And I think the Bible wants to teach us that, man, we've got to live intentionally. It's that word that we talked about uh, last week. You've got to have a plan. You've got a budget. Look what Paul says. And remember, he's writing to this church who, man, it's like the cool church. Man, you guys excel in everything. But I want you to press in and excel even more in this area. I want you to get a little bit better in this area of generosity. And then he says this in verse, chapter 9, verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now, did you notice that? He didn't say, you must each decide if you're going to give. That's not what Paul said. We, we give because we've received. It's more blessed to give than receive, right? Like we just want to live that way towards other people. But he says, you got to decide how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. In other words, we've got to be intentional, right? We shouldn't be reluctant. We also shouldn't be manipulated. But if we're living out God's story and we're responding to the grace that we've received, we ought to be intentional about that. And that's why, you know, every week we do a tithe and offering, right? Like, because we want to be the kind of people that are responding to God saying, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to build it in. And then look what he says in verse 11. This was so amazing. Yes, you will be enriched in every way. Now, once again, that's kind of an uncomfortable language. What are you saying, Gareth? Is this like a prosperity gospel thing? No, 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 because that's actually not what the word means. The word enriched means literally you're going to have more than you need. That the Lord's going to supply what you need, and he's going to supply some more as I choose to engage in living a generous lifestyle. And look at this. God's doing all of that, and then this little key phrase, so that you can always be generous. In other words, there's a purpose behind our stewardship. God wants to, us to reflect his generosity, he wants us to engage in his purpose, his plan as being a generous people. I came to give you life, but not just life, abundant life, so that you can share that abundance with others. That's the heart that God wants from us. I love the next, actually the verse right before that. In fact, it's, this is such a rich, rich book, but Paul says this, now he who supplies seed to the sower. Who is it that God supplies seed to? the sower. And what God is saying is, he said, hey, if you are going to live intentionally and you're going to be someone that's going to choose to sow, choose to give, choose to be generous, it goes on and it says, and bread and food, that he will supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. But it starts with a decision, doesn't it? It starts with, man, I'm going to choose to live intentionally that way, which so many of you are, and our church family lives this way. And the last thing that we learn, 
and I think this is so appropriate on Thanksgiving week, is that, man, we choose to give joyfully, we choose to give selflessly, we choose to give willingly, we choose to give intentionally, but the last thing that this book, that this, this chapter teaches us is that we're to choose to give thankfully. There's this little verse found in Psalm 116 and verse 12, and it says, what can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? Man, when you think about this week, Thanksgiving week, when we give thanks, man, just stop to think about that. What is it that we can offer the Lord when we consider all that he has done for us? And the reality is that if you're a follower of Jesus, man, this ought to be a really special week. Not just because it's a a national holiday and it's Thanksgiving and we'll all have a food coma later this week, right? But that we recognize, man, God, I want to take a moment to recognize all that you have given to me. In fact, I think the start of generosity is gratitude. I think if you and I are going to live a lifestyle of generosity, I think it starts with this internal motivation to quote Paul, a grace that you have received that produces a gratitude within my heart. In fact, Jenny read from Acts chapter 2 today. It says that they had received so much from the Lord and it said that they made this decision that they were going to share freely all that they had with others. They were going to live out this generous life because of all that they had received from their heavenly father. And what we recognize is there's this little kind of thread through the Bible. What do we give the Lord? And what the Lord, I think, looks for from us and what we see throughout the entirety of scripture is this idea that we're to bring the Lord our first and our best. In fact, it started way back in the book of Exodus, and you probably are familiar with the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a meal that the Israelites celebrated to commemorate the Lord's deliverance of their children. And one of the instructions the Lord gave them was that they were to bring their first and their best. They were to go find the best lamb, an unspotted lamb, a newborn lamb, and they were to bring it, and they were to bring it to the Lord. They were to sacrifice it to the Lord. And that would seem kind of confusing. I mean, if you can imagine kind of being maybe a younger member of the family and you're just like, man, what, what, what's this all about? Like, it's kind of strange. Like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why are we bringing our first and best? And he says this, and this is found in Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to close with this. When the time comes and your son asks you, what does this mean? You will tell him, God brought us out of slavery with a powerful hand. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, God killed every firstborn in Egypt and firstborn uh, were both humans and animals. That's why I make a sacrifice. The observance functions like a sign on your hands or a symbol on the middle of your forehead. God has brought us out of Egypt with a powerful hand. And the reality is, as we close this series, against the backdrop of stress and anxiety and fear and everything that's going on in the world in which we live. We serve a God who is both good and generous. And all that God wants us as followers of him is to order our lives, whether it's somebody, a stranger at the grocery store or a line in Starbucks, whether it's bringing tithes and offerings or maybe getting involved with adoptive family. Maybe it's giving some time over in children's ministry or serving on a missions trip or serving uh, with Catalyst Northwest and something going on in our region. We want to be the kind of people that because of who God is, 
Because of his goodness and because of his generosity, we're gonna give joyfully. We're gonna give selflessly. We're gonna give willingly. Man, I'm gonna decide to do this. I'm gonna give intentionally. But I think most of all, and really the starting point for all of us, is I'm gonna give gratefully. I'm gonna give thankfully because of all that he has done for me. And so I'm gonna simply close in prayer. And I believe, man, the Lord, I, what a privilege to live this kind of way. Isn't that an awesome privilege? So Lord, this morning, we just recognize your goodness. Lord, in this Thanksgiving week, Lord Jesus, we stop, we pause, and Lord, we reflect the psalmist who said, man, what can I give the Lord who has given me everything? who's freed me from sin, who's given me uh, grace, who's uh, given me the power to overcome sin, to be in a family, to walk together, Lord Jesus. And it might even extend beyond all of that. But Lord Jesus, we just stop and we end, Lord Jesus, this service, we end this series. Lord, even as we head into Thanksgiving, we end by saying, Lord, we're grateful, we're thankful that we serve a God who can be trusted. So Lord, I pray that Lord, as we begin to wrestle with these thoughts and Father, even put them into practice, that Lord, we recognize you're the one who gives seed to the sower. Lord, we decide to live generously. Lord, in quiet ways, Lord Jesus, just giving ourselves to family, to friends, to strangers, even to enemies, that Lord, we would be those who reflect your generosity so that through our kindness, Lord Jesus, people might see you and come to know you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen.